The following sermon is from Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you're new to Calvary, we'd like to hear from you. Visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. And now, here's Pastor Rob. Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to begin in uh, verse 31, and we're going to go to verse 39. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is inter interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the support that... Uh, that, that we, we give one another in advancing your kingdom. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today as we examine this passage, as we examine uh, what you have for us, Lord, as we see how you have secured us through your love. And I pray that we take comfort in that. And we use that as a means to show others that they can, that they can know your love and that they can be redeemed and that they can know you as Savior. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we've, we've all been privileged to hear Pastor Dan exposit this wonderful book of Romans, and we've learned some pretty awesome spiritual lessons, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the, gui for the guidance I've been given. I've been given some uh, new perspective on Romans, just, just hearing this teaching, and it's, and, it's, and it's definitely helping me today as I uh, present this with you. Um, um, one of the things that we've been hearing is how the gospel transforms us through justification and the Holy Spirit purifies us through sanctification. And we have much to look forward to one day when we get to experience our glorification. But until then, we wait. And while we wait, we, face, um, we have to face all the chaos and craziness that's, that this fallen world has to offer. And I know it's easy to get nervous and to get scared. And there's a number of circumstances we all face independently. And, and that, can, that can make us insecure. Um, it's easy to do. Sometimes I wake up uh, in distress because the first thing I do, and you guys probably do this too, you look at your phone and you see all sorts of bad news, whether it's on Facebook or uh, Internet Explorer, Edge, whenever they're putting their news bulletins. But when I'm using Facebook, I see that little red dot. And how many of you get annoyed by that little red dot? You want it to go away. Well, I, my OCD kicks in, and I want it to go away so it won't bug me. But what ends up happening is as I'm trying to get it to go away, my eye catches some piece of news that's uh, about the government or about the world and about all the messed up things that are going on, and I get anxious. But then, 
After I've calmed down a little bit, I'm reminded of uh, comforting truths like the ones we're going to examine in this passage, and then my heart is put at ease knowing that I can and you can and we all can rest secure in the love of God. And you might ask yourself, what does that look like? How can we take comfort with what's going on in the world? And I'll tell you, it's up there right now, uh, we can rest secure in the love of God because God is with us. Verse 31 says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And you see here, Paul is asking a question that requires us to consider the historical context as well as the verses that precede it. Being a Christian at the height of the Roman Empire was not a fun time. There was a massive amount of persecution. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with history at this time, but the emperor was Nero, and he was not a nice guy. He caused no end of grief for believers. It was an immoral time. There were no limits to the sexual perversions that took place. And Paul talks about those things even in the first chapter of Romans. But in the verses prior to this passage we're looking at, Paul talks about the present sufferings and how they pale in comparison to what believers must look forward to in the future. Uh, the question Paul asks, it makes us think, um, he's, he's calling us to think about the future glory that's to come, but he thinks, but then he asks another question, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is obviously what? No one. <laughs> it's an amazing thought, and we need to consider a few of the theological implications behind that. I think Pastor Dan had actually mentioned this a couple weeks back. He was talking to, I think it was Kenny uh, the three big attributes of God, talking about how God is all-powerful. That's his omnipotence. And, you know, no one can compete with God's strength. And then uh, God is all-knowing. That's called omniscience. No one can hold a candle to uh, uh, God's knowledge. It's infinite. And finally, God is not bound by space or time. That's called omnipresence. And, you know, you think about yourself in, on, a, on that level. Um, even after all our advancements in transportation and communication we can't overcome the barrier of being in two places at once but god is always in any place he desires at any time he desires and sometimes people talk about hell and how god's not there but the truth is he is there it's that and the sad part is he's there with his wrath instead of his love those who go there do not experience god's love they only experience his wrath and i bring that up because one of the things we're doing uh, at home is we're going through the, the gospel of John and you know we, we sit down every week and I record a conversation I have with my kids over a Bible passage and right now we're in John chapter 5 talking about how God has made Jesus the judge over all and I, I, told, I told them and I'll tell you I don't know about how everyone else feels um, I assume you'd agree with me but I want to be on the receiving end of God's love I want to uh, receive God's love. I don't want to be on the receiving end of his wrath. But those who don't believe in Christ, they only get to experience his wrath and his judgment. And I say, I bring this up because even during the persecution the church had to endure in ancient Rome, believers and unbelievers were experiencing God's grace. All these attributes of God tell us that he is infinitely higher than any other entity, that no force in humanity or nature could ever think to stand against him and because we as believers have been adopted into his family we have his protection he and and, and in his protection he oversees every aspect of our lives and as and and as believers we have secured we have secured our hope in the glory paul talks about in these verses so if god is for us no one 
stands a chance of coming against us. And as good as Paul's word is, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We can rest secure in the love of God because God is with us. Just to illustrate this in other passages of Scripture, we go back to the Old Testament where the children of Israel had the protection of God going into the promised land. But many were afraid and they didn't believe. And um, they didn't believe God could overcome their enemies. But what does God say? It's in Numbers 14, verse 9. Um, it says, Only don't rebel against the Lord do, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So they had that same reassurance back then in the Old Testament. And then the psalmist, they even understood that God was on their side, uh, that they could live fearlessly. Psalm 118, verse 6, it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then the apostle John wrote that those who are from God have overcome those who are in the world because God is greater than they that are in the world. First John 4, 4. Um, greater is, uh, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So we can rest secure in the love of God because God is with us. The second thing we see is we can rest secure in the love of God through his benevolence. Verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So not only is God for us, but he spares no means to protect us. His own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid his life down for us. Romans 4.25 tells us that Christ was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Through this sacrifice, we have the certain hope of the future glory that Paul talks about in verse 18. God has shown how much he is for us in the giving of his son so that we can enjoy the boundless grace he showers on us. We have now, uh, what we have now and what we look forward to in the future are blessings of God's grace. And God wants to shed his grace on our lives. Jesus dying on our behalf is the greatest manifestation of that desire. If you can, quote with me, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That illustrates God's grace so beautifully in Jesus being given as a gift to the world. That's, that, that's what brings our salvation. Through the Lord Jesus, we have inherited his grace. We all experience God's grace. I, I personally have experienced God's grace beyond measure, above and beyond what I could have ever expected. My dad's here today, and he'll back me up on this story where we've seen God's grace. Um, I remember my first year in college, and my, my uh, parents were going through a divorce, and money was tight. And uh, I was discouraged. My dad was discouraged. Um, we, 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 we were having a hard time trying to figure out how I was going to go back to school. Um, but during that summer, uh, prior to my freshman year, I had the pleasure of working with someone and uh, I, I don't know what the interaction had meant to him. Obviously, it meant, him, meant a great deal because that Thanksgiving break, as I'm uh, dealing with some serious anxiety about how I'm going to go back to school, uh, Dad hands me this card with uh, a check that pays for the entire next semester. I, 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 no, 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 no idea that was going to happen. No idea that uh, the Lord would work in that way, but we, we, uh, we were covered. <laughs> we, we, were, we, were, uh, we, we had grace that, that we did not expect. And, and I'm not trying to say that it works that way for everyone all the time, not in that same scenario, but I was given the glimpse of the grace of God through that situation. And my dad was too. 
um, God had, uh, you know, not just, you know, show, shown his grace in that scenario, but all throughout my life, from the very beginning, God saved me from my sins. He changed my heart, and he gave me a desire to serve him. He called me to go into ministry. And Bible college was what I believed in, you know, most of us who, who want to, uh, you, you know, pursue ministry, go to Bible college. If the Lord wanted me to go there, he was going to provide the means to make that happen. And he did. At every rough turn where I could not find a way on my own, he made a way. I saw it then and I see it now that God richly blesses us even in the worst of circumstances. That wasn't a good situation we were in. And uh, the Lord came through. Right now, we're going through a pandemic, but God is showing his grace there. Um, I, I know from you know, just my own personal experience and then even the experience of others, it's a lot more people spending time with their families because they, they either can't go to work or things have been limited with their time that they spend at work. And, uh, but even here at Calvary, people see our church online and the ministry we have because we were forced to lock down at one point. Uh, through unemployment, uh, we can find God's grace. That's a very humbling situation to be in because we literally have to pray in the means to provide for ourselves and our family. Uh, when the place you call home is closed for business, God still shows his grace. I've seen, I, I've seen situations where people have been taken in, and they've been fed, and they've been clothed, and they, they were taken care of. God does not spare any expense in taking care of his children, so we can rest secure in the love of God through his benevolence. First and foremost, through what Jesus did on the cross, but secondly, as believers, constantly getting to participate in his grace. The third thing that we see is we can rest secure in the love of God because he has chosen to justify us. Verse 33, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I, I think it was a couple months ago, I was actually preaching through Romans 6, and uh, it was the passage where Paul was defending the doctrines of grace throughout the book of Romans. Um, it, was, it was being attacked from both sides. Uh, you had the attack from the legalists. They hate grace because it think, they think it undermined the law. And then you had the libertine that loved it because they thought that it gave them the right to do whatever they wanted. But Paul shows us here that there's a new law. In Romans 6, the law of Christ, because we have been given the Holy Spirit, and that's what we've been hearing um, all throughout the book of Romans, that the transformation of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that comes from Christ, And because we have those resources, because we had something we did not have before, uh, it gives us a new nature, a new desire to do what we could not do prior to conversion. We can now live for God and do what's right. It doesn't undermine the law, and it doesn't give us the liberty to sin, to do whatever we want. Galatians 2.20, it talks about, it illustrates just what exactly that is. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That implication there is that Christ is the one working in us. And through Christ, we have been justified. His righteousness is now our righteousness. His justification is our justification. God has made us justified. And you see that word elect. It comes from the Greek word eklekton, and it simply means to choose. It's, it's not used very often in the New Testament it's in this way, but it's used four times where God, it shows us that God has chosen to justify us. We couldn't and would not do it for ourselves in our sin. So God uh, chose to justify us because of the perfect sacrifice made in Christ. And I was trying to think about how I could illustrate this, and one area hit home. Um, Ashley's not in here, so she 
won't kill me afterwards. Um, but one area that can be troublesome in our home is getting the kids to keep the rooms clean. We've got some messy kids. We've got some crazy kids. You, you get to see them on a, on a weekly basis how crazy they can be. But Ashley will spend days cleaning and folding laundry, and a lot of moms can relate with this. Uh, what tends to happen is she'll give the clothes to the kids and tell them to put them away. Her expectation is that it will be done properly. The reality is usually the opposite. All that freshly laundered clothing ends up on the floor. Uh, sometimes it'll end up in the dresser like they did it halfway, but now the drawer's, you know, halfway open, clothes are hanging out, and, um, you know, when that happens, they usually face the wrath of mom. Um, and believe me, that uh, shy, quiet little lady, uh, she, she can put the fear of God in you when you mess up her laundry. Um, on more than one occasion, um, I make this joke with her. Um, she, she's definitely uh, uh, a lot. Uh, she's definitely firmer than I am, and uh, I, I don't know why. I, I have always considered myself, you know, a no-nonsense type of guy, but she's e she is even more so. So I have to think, okay, now we got to do some rebalancing because this feels backwards. So I call her law, and I call me grace. So she do she doesn't she doesn't like that, but. I'm going to illustrate this. Uh, uh, on more than one occasion, I have gone into the rooms when I find out that the laundry has turned into a disastrous situation. And I, don't, and I haven't scolded them. They got plenty of it from their mom earlier. Um, but I've helped them. I've helped them organize it and put it away. And um, essentially, I'm making their wrongs right. They don't deserve it. And I'm not obligated to do it. But I want to rectify that situation that they made for themselves so they could no longer be in bondage to putting the laundry away. I chose to help them out of their trouble. And like a father to his children, God chooses to rescue us from our trouble, from our sin. He takes the wicked, guilty, vile sinners that we are, and he makes us new creatures. Under the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made righteous in the sight of God the Father. And being made righteous is what justified means. We stand before God with no fault. Jesus paid the price, and now we are without blame because Jesus took the blame on himself. He took it on himself to help us, to save us. And we can rest secure in the love of God because he has chosen to justify us rather than accuse us. The fourth thing we see is we can rest secure in the love of God because the Lord Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf. Verse 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You know, we've, we've seen a line of questioning from Paul as this passage starts. Uh, uh, Paul goes from who can accuse us to who can condemn. And basically to condemn is to carry out the punishment because of the charge. I don't know about you, but I, I love to read fiction. And a lot of people, I know fiction's real big right now, everything from sci-fi to fantasy to, to whatever. Lately, my, my interest has been in historical fiction especially about the Wild West. I love reading Westerns, um, you know, talking about the mountain men and talking about uh, uh, how, how, how life was back then. I like going back to when times were simpler. You know, it, it, it makes me feel, uh, feel good when I see that. But sometimes there's bad situations that happen, more often than not, unfortunately. Um, but one of those things that would happen uh, would be public executions. They were administered, you know, through the end of a noose. Um, and these... Executions usually took place after criminals were tried and convicted, and a lot of them happened, unfortunately, at the hands of an angry mob. And that mob would, you know, they would get riled up by someone. And in those books, 
Usually it's the guilty party, the ones that actually did the crime, that are doing the accusing. But there'll be a sheriff, there'll be, jepu- uh, there'll be deputies to make the mob stand down. And then, you know, the accused is offered to defend themselves or find an attorney to do it for them. But what ends up happening in some cases is the innocent uh, people who are innocent of the crimes they were accused of still ended up being executed because they never got the chance to stand trial. They had no protection. They had no one to bat for them. They had no leg to stand on. That's not the case in the Christian life. We as Christians have someone to go to bat for us. We have someone who is interceding on our behalf. That's the Lord Jesus. He's the only one. And, and you know, Paul's talking about who, who is to condemn. He's the only one who would be justified in taking revenge. But what did he do? He took the punishment on himself. Um, who else would be able to make any kind of argument? Who could lay any kind of charge? What penalty could anyone lay on the believer? Our accounts have been settled. Our debts have been paid in full through the all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord. Jesus Christ, as I said earlier, he's the only one who has the right to level a complaint against us. No one else. But he chose to love us. He intercedes for us. That word intercede means to intervene on behalf of someone else. And that's what he does. He vouches for us because our sin has been washed away by his blood. Satan and his demons, the wicked world system, nothing and no one can condemn us. Has the right to condemn us, but the Lord Jesus, but he loved us dearly. We can rest secure in the love of God because the Lord Jesus is interceding on our behalf. The fifth thing that we see is we can rest secure in the love of God knowing that the best is yet to come. Verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or anger or, 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 or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, there's some mental hurdles to work through because this is a long list. And Paul is asking, who can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he gives us this list of various things that in most cases, I think we'd all agree, it's troubling to us. These things, they scare me. I think of the word tribulation. That's a state of great trouble or suffering. Distress, that's when you're dealing with extreme anxiety or sorrow or pain. Persecution, that's when you're dealing with hostility and ill treatment. Um, or you're being persistently annoyed or harassed by someone. Famine, extreme scarcity of food, nakedness, physical exposure from a lack of clothing to protect one from the elements uh, or shame, danger, the possibility of suffering harm or injury, and then the sword, that's talking about certain death through execution. Personally, if I must face any of these situations or scenarios, my natural reaction would be, I'm concerned, I'm scared, and I think you all would agree with that. I don't want tribulation. I don't want persecution. I don't want famine, although I could probably use it. But we don't like these things because they're all in opposition to the things we do like. We like to have a life of ease. We, we like to be happy. We like to have serenity. We like to have plenty of food and drink. We want to be clothed. We want to be safe. We want to live. We want to live. We want all those things. But the desire for these things and the possibility of getting the opposite is very real for the Christian because of the fallen world we live in. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, mankind has undergone all sorts of unfortunate happenings, usually because they brought it on themselves. But followers of God especially face this because their lives are centered on what God says, which is in direct opposition to the world system. And the timing of this letter uh, shows us that, you know, Paul understood hardship. Uh, As I said earlier, uh, 
they were at the height of the Roman Empire. And the emperor of the Roman Empire, that was Nero. And he was uh, uh, the church's worst enemy socially at that time. And I know, I, I've said it before in other messages, but um, he's been said to have deliberately burned, he, he burned Rome to the ground just so he could rebuild it the way that he wanted it. And then he turned around and blamed it on the Christians. He tortured and murdered many believers in the worst ways. Um, history tells us that Christians would be submerged in oil and hung on a pole, and then they would be lit on fire, and then that light would be used to emanate, uh, emanate or, or, or illuminate uh, Nero's garden. You, you, walking around, and you'll see burning corpses of Christians uh, as a source of light. He was not a nice guy. He was a very evil guy. Um, and it's even said that Paul himself was beheaded at the hand of Nero. Uh, and I say all that to say this. Paul knows what he's talking about when dealing with unfortunate circumstances. He's been in jail. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He was betrayed, and so on and so forth. And despite all of these things, he declares that none of these things can separate us from the love of God. You know, we sometimes get discouraged when we look at the world around us. And I know uh, many of you likely deal with chronic anxiety um, when you think about what your children are going to grow up. Uh, in what, what world they're going to be a part of in the future. But you need to take heart. Um, I don't know who said this, and I, so I can't give the author the credit he's due, but um, it's, it's not my own quote. But this life for the Christian is as bad as it gets. You hear some preachers talk about your best life now, but I, I hate to break it to you. Uh, if, if, if this is your best life, what's to come is, is going to be a lot worse. Um, but for the Christian, this is as bad as it gets. For the unbeliever, this is as good as it gets. The best is yet to come. So despite the daunting circumstances we face in this life, we can rest secure in the love of God knowing that the best is yet to come. And lastly, we see we can rest secure in the love of God because Jesus has already secured the victory. Verse 37 to 39, it says, No, Paul saying no in response to these, the, this list he gave us of, of daunting things. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul gives us a list here of forces that are both physical and spiritual. Forces that are great and small. Uh, these forces impact us in ways we don't see, but they're, they're real, and they influence the world around us. And, and in another passage, Ephesians 2, we find out that we're battling the world. We're battling the flesh, and we're battling Satan. Those, thing, those, those forces are very real and at work right now in the world we're living in. And Paul tells us that we were at one point in, in union with them, it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is Ephesians 2, by the way. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But as great as these forces are in power and influence, none of them can come between us and God. None of them can get between us and the love of God. God is, uh, that passage, it says uh, in the next few verses, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because God's love for Jesus is infinitely great and because we are in Christ, that means we've, we've identified with him in his death and resurrection. We have been made justified before God the Father. He sees the blood of his son covering us and because we are in Christ, we have the same love from God the Father that he bestows on his son. Oh, how God loves us, even in death, the great separator. And that's what death means, separation. We are even more united with God because to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Even during the, the work of all these ominous forces, Paul declares his absolute, absolute certainty that we are not victims of these things, but that we are conquerors. I'm reminded of that story of Elisha and his servant when they're surrounded by the armies of Syria. And the servant was greatly distressed at the overwhelming forces that surrounded him and his master. And Elisha, what's he do? He prays that God would open his servant's eyes so that he could be assured as Elisha was. And God answered his prayer. And the servant was able to see the surrounding, see surrounding that incredible force of man an even greater force, the army of heaven. And my prayer for you today is that despite all the turmoil you face in this life, everything from big to small, from private to public, from sickness to sorrow, my prayer is that you rest secure in the love of God, knowing that all these things have no power over you in eternity. You are a conqueror of all of it through the love of God. And even though we don't see that tangible manifestation of that victory yet, we can still rest secure because God, because we have the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And that is what gives us the hope of victory because Jesus has already secured the victory. We can rest secure in the love of God because Jesus has already secured the victory. So in closing, I'm going to ask Brother Brad to come on up. This message has been mostly directed at believers in Christ. And I hope, I really hope it has been a comfort for you as we sojourn in this fallen world, as we deal with our own sin, as we face the culture that is constantly in opposition to the word of God, as we face the sinister attacks of Satan and his armies, I hope through the words of the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you can and are resting secure in the love of God. But I don't want to miss this chance to tell you that if you're here and you're not a believer, you can become one. You can, like those of us who are in Christ, Rest secure in the love of God. All you need to do is admit that you're a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was resurrected, and call on him to save you from your sins because he's the only one with the power that can truly save you. And I ask you, I plead with you, I beg you, make that decision today as we conclude our service during this hymn of invitation. Um, I'll be here up at the front, and if you'd like to talk with me um, or if you'd like to talk to someone, we can set that up where you can have a more private scenario. We don't want to embarrass anyone. A man can address a man, a lady with a lady, and they'll be glad to share the good news of the gospel with you. We don't, we don't want to embarrass anyone or put anyone on the spot, but it's my prayer that if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, you would come and get it settled knowing that you can rest secure in the love of God. Please stand as we sing our hymn of invitation. You've been listening to Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at myhomecalvary.org. That's myhomecalvary.org. 
Thank you for listening.